Three decades ago, following the passing of the Rav, his legacy endures and his teachings still inspire. But how do we communicate his Torah to a generation which did not know Yosef, that is, Rabbi Joseph B. Salvechik? This is a question which is explored from a few different angles in tradition's most recent expanded issue on the thought of the Rav 30 years following his passing, which coincided this season with the 120th anniversary of his birth. I'm Jeffrey Sachs, editor of Tradition. Visit traditiononline.org to see some of the open access content in the journal or to order your copy of the most recent issue. When you do, you'll discover that one of the more insightful perspectives on this particular question is offered by my friend and colleague, Molly Brofsky, whose essay, The Rov's Enduring Pedagogical Relevance, takes up the challenge of how we can best convey Rabbi Soloveitchik's thought, hashkafa, philosophy, to the younger generations, born over a decade after his death and almost a generation after he left the public stage. It is indeed complex, but crucial. And Molly makes the compelling case for why it's more important than ever, and offers some lessons from her many years of teaching at Michlelet Mivaseret Yerushalayim. She recently discussed her essay on the podcast she co-hosts, RZ Weekly, which surveys issues facing the RZ, religious Zionist community, in Israel and worldwide. It's a weekly roundtable conversation between Molly and her educational colleagues, Johnny Solomon and Ruvain Spolter. We thank them for allowing us to share the segment of this episode over our podcast feed. Search for RZ Weekly on all podcasting platforms to subscribe. Here's their conversation on The Rov's Enduring Pedagogical Relevance. There are a number of publications, and there's going to be an ongoing, more publications coming out, marking the 30th yard site of The Rav, Rav Yosef Dovalevi Salavechik, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, as well as, I guess, it's his 120th birthday. And uh, as one of those publications is the is the uh, the journal Tradition, the Tradition Journal, of which our our esteemed colleague Molly Bravsky is a she's on the editorial board, mm-hmm. on the editorial board, and uh, they had a whole issue dedicated to the memory of the Rub, different articles about the memory of the Rub. So the first thing we should say is, if you haven't yet gone to the mailbacks, ripped open your plastic cover on your Tradition Journal and read it from cover to cover. Now's the time. Okay, you, sh- you should absolutely do that and think about the Rav and the implications that he had. It's really interesting. There was a whole mus- uh, Musaf Shabbat in Makor Rishon about it. Some silly articles in the, in the magazine in Makor Rishon about it, which we're not going to talk about. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot going on about the Rav. There's going to be a... Uh, <laughs> Johnny's laughing. Uh, there's there, there's going to be a, at the a book launch at the, at the Kenes. There was a whole... A whole magazine dedicated to the memory of the Rav, the Mizrahi magazine. So there's tons of stuff going on about the Rav. So we thought as a, uh, as a way of marking this, uh, the Rav obviously is probably the, um, no, he's not probably, he is the most influential personality, relig- religious rabbinic leader in the uh, American modern Orthodox community uh, at all, from like in modern, in modern, I would say in modern history. Would you agree with that, Molly? The most influential, the most, uh, okay. By a lot. In the, in the modern Orthodox community? Yeah, in the modern Orthodox community. Yeah, yeah. I actually wrote something like in, in my article, which I'll let in a minute, where I wrote, the Rav 
uh, founded modern orthodoxy. I was quoting my students. And the editor changed it. He said the Rav didn't found it all by himself. I was like, all right, you can say was one of the founders, but I, you know, I think most people view him as the foundational figure. Ah, he was the. He didn't found it on purpose. He was the foundational figure. Yeah. He didn't get up one I day. Think that's and what say, I changed it. He to. didn't get up one and say yes. like, we are I now announce the formation yeah. of. <laughs> no, but the quibble was like there are other modern orthodox voices, and I was like, okay, but as you're saying, I think most people experience the Rav as the towering giant, and the other voices are. You know, okay, traditional. so Molly wrote an article called The Rub's Enduring Pedagogical Relevance. So I think what we'd like to do is, Molly, take us through the major arguments of your article, some of the points you'd like to, you'd like to, uh, you, you emphasize in your piece, and obviously people who want to read it in greater depth should and will, but at the same time, then each of us will have the opportunity to respond uh, to Molly's ideas, and hopefully it'll lead to a fruitful and interesting discussion. So take it away, Molly. Okay, so I... I um... I don't know if I can, I don't want to go on too long, so I'll see if I can, how briefly I can uh, kind of summarize this. But basically the question is, is the rough still relevant today, right? And I think that most, the, the question arises. Wait, wait a second. You're focusing on pedagogy. So pedagogy is, is the rough yes. relevant to our students in the classroom? Well, right? and that, that's okay. pedagogy. I would say it like this. Is the rough relevant to our students in their life experience? And if he is, how can we then um, bring that relevance to our students in the classroom, which might already be my thesis, what I kind of just said, right? But that is my belief, right? My belief is that the Rav is relevant to our students. Um, that, and the, I think the, the um, obvious like counterpoint that people would say is, what do you mean the Rav is relevant to our students? The Rav is such a modernist and we are living in such a... Um, I don't want to use the word postmodern because it's always... Because you hate you know, it, I right? What? Because you, know, you hate but, it? Because I hate it and because, <laughs> you know, it, it means many things to different people, but as the catchphrase for the world that we're in and all of the um, issues um, that, that concern people, right? It's a very, very different mindset. Our, our, our youth have a very, very different mindset. Um, the world is a very, very different mindset. So is the Rev outdated? Is he no longer relevant? And my thesis is that he is absolutely relevant. He might even be more relevant because, and that's kind of what I argue, where right? I have this quote from C.S. Lewis here. I'm going to see if I can read it because um, I love it. Um, if one has to choose between reading the new books and reading the old, one must choose the old, not because they are necessarily better, but because they contain precisely those truths of which our own age is neglectful, which I think is a brilliant way of saying it, which is uh, it's not just that the Rev is relevant. It's the reason he's relevant is because the things that he said then actually hold in them the, uh, in many cases, and the, you know, the ones I, I, I'll go through very briefly what I, in which areas, they hold the keys to many of the, the crisis and, and ailments that, that are troubling our youth today. That's what I believe. Does that make sense? Yeah, if you describe, explain. Okay. Now, instead of so going, for example, okay, yeah. so my, okay, so I, I, the obvious one I think that like is, is 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 just self um, necessary, whatever. Mitbakesh is complexity, right? The Rav was all about complexity. He himself was complex. He um, his his his. You can't understand him if you can't think complexly. His he he kind of raised the flag of complexity as the essence of the human experience and as the essence of the religious experience. Um, and we are living in a world in which complexity and nuance are disappearing. So. Um, re 
giving students the gift of learning how to think complexly, how to evaluate things complexly, how to become aware of their own complexity, how to become aware of, of, of the fact that therefore probably if there's an argument going on, there is probably complexity involved and it's probably not as black and white as things are being presented. Um, it's probably not, you know, the forces of light against the forces of darkness. All of these things, I think, are a tremendous boon to our students. And I, and, and I think that we, we're built, human beings are built for meaning and complexity and nuance. And, I, you know, like the world we're, we're in is, is again, I, I, this is the only image I can think of, but like we're feeding people candy and lollipops when we should be feeding them um, meat and vegetables and, and um, you know, hearty bread. And they're thirsting. They, they might, on the surface, seem to be enjoying the candy and the lollipops, but they're really not. And when you give them the meat and the bread and the vegetables, maybe only no meat because we have a lot of vegetarians in today's world, um, but they appreciate it. They, 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 um, they, they, my experience in the classroom, at least, is that they, they, it resonates with them. It's like, wow, that is true about my experience, right? And wow, that is an answer to a question I maybe didn't even know I was asking. Um, and so I think complexity is A, something that, that gives people a sense of, um, like it resonates with them. Yeah, things are more complex. My experience is more complex. Uh, life is more complex. Arguments is more complex, are more complex. And yeah, my life is richer when I include complexity in my way of understanding the world. Um, so that's like, that's like to me like, you know, the foundation. Then the, the other pieces that I, yeah. You want to Let's something? stop on this point. Okay. Uh, because um, I, I was, you when, you, when you describe complexity, you're thinking about, like in a complexity from a political point of view, I think. Meaning, no, is there is only. there one way to think? Is there one orthodoxy? Is there one you know way of believing? You know, do I have to? Is there one right and one wrong? That's a sense That's that I, I'm getting from you. Are those questions political? Is there one right and one wrong? Well, you is said one way of that, that you said that uh, you said that okay. kid, the kids are in, given candy, and they're looking for meat. So okay. what is the candy? I'm just trying to, I'm trying to understand. Okay, so the candy can be in, in millions and millions of ways, right? So you're thinking of, you know, you use the word political, right? but then you also talked about right and wrong and ways, discourse, right? Discourse, language, um, flattening of ideas, um, turning everything into sound bites, um, screens, education, you know, like um, somebody once said at the internet that it's like, you know, Whatever, seven thousand miles wide and an inch deep, right? Oh, right? So that's the world. That's the world we live in, and um, it expresses itself in many, many, many ways. Uh, agreed, um, but not my... just because of the internet. But I'm saying, and it's also about self knowledge, self awareness, um, performance. Am I who I am because of the way other people see me, or do I have an intact um, sense of self? Right? Do I have a good ego strength? The only way to do that is to confront your own complexity, right? And that's so my, kind of my, my second my point. My response to this, and I want to know what yeah. your, how you respond to this is. My I response to this is, I don't get a sense that our kids today are looking for, they're looking for complexity. I think that, like you said, the internet is a million miles wide and it's not deep. So maybe they're looking for depth. I don't know. But maybe that's what you mean by complexity. I think they're incredibly overwhelmed by the uh, the myriad of messages being thrown at them all the time 
Meaning they're, you know, they see videos on everything. They read things. They're interested in things. They don't know what to believe is true, what not to believe is true. Right. And, and um, I'll just say, like you had sent this on Cholamoyed to me, and I read it on Cholamoyed, and I, I wrote my response on Cholamoyed. So it happens to be that my son, who goes to the school of Makor you know, like in mm-hmm. Kfar and uh, Rav Dov Zinger has, has created this organization to bring their tefillot, to the to the masses, their their method of tefillah. So yes. my son is a bass the player, he's a musician, yes. and mm-hmm. they have these mass davening. So mm-hmm. like he goes all the time, and I said, okay, I'm gonna like kind of want to experience it. He does it. I want to support him. So we went to Heichal Shlomo. Yeah, there were hundreds mm-hmm. and hundreds of people who came on it like early. It wasn't easy to get to like the middle of the city of Yerushalayim mm-hmm. on a Friday morning to just for a very simple reason to sing and to dance. Yes. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, like, interesting, could anybody give a shear, even Rav Dov, who's not, Rav Dov is a very, is, I would say, I don't think the word is not complex or not complex, but it's not philosophical in any way. It's, uh, it's, it's more machshava oriented, more chassidut oriented. Um, but I don't know if that's not Okay, not the not same, whatever. Okay, I'm not, not going to go there right now. Right. People didn't come for the shear. They came for the singing and dancing, sure. I can tell you. And I thought to myself, like, could you, if you gave a shear, the world's greatest shear, like, you know, mm-hmm. people wouldn't come the same, the same numbers. Absolutely. And, and I thought to myself, they're not looking for complexity. They feel overwhelmed by complexity. They're looking for, I don't think the word is simplicity, but I think they're looking for connection. Yes. And they don't want somebody to tell them how confusing the world is. To me, and I'm, this is why I want your response, they want exactly the opposite. They want to be told how, with all this confusion going around, I can, you can connect to the Ein Sof, you can connect to God in a way that's beautiful and simple and special. Okay. So, so and I don't think, like, I'm wondering, like, what that was my response when I read yes. what you were saying, and if, that mm-hmm. was tr- if that's true, then in this crazy, topsy-turvy world of unlimited information, telling them that the world is complex, it's going to make them feel better. It's not what they're looking for. Tell them okay. that the world is straightforward. Tell them that Rabboni Shalom has, you know what I'm saying, is connecting to you. I, I just look at where they're voting with their feet, not, you know, how they're voting, how they're okay. acting, and what, and what the yeshivot are teaching now, truth be told. And, uh, and, and I wonder. So I wonder what your response is. And Johnny yeah, clearly has something to say I want to add, I'd love to hear Johnny's answer, but I would like to answer. Um, so first of all, I don't think it's so terrible. I don't think it's an either or. I think it's a yes and, what you're describing. Um, I, th- I, I actually believe that um, they, w- what you described, they would like to know that there's an Ein Sof. They would like to know that that's not a... It could be that there are people who are looking for simplicity. It could be that there are many people who are looking for simplicity. But that's not my experience of the youth that, that, that I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is a youth that, wants, that actually does feel and experience the complexity and that wants a way to hold it all together, Right. And, and hold all of that complexity in a way that, is, um, that has integrity, that's integrated, right? And that actually is my second point about the Rav and self-actualization, where that's the work, right? The Rav doesn't just say life is complex, go suffer. He says life is complex, so figure out how to create a self that can hold all of that complexity. Well, now again, for him there are boundaries, which that's a different, right, that we leave that for later, halakhic boundaries. But his fundamental idea is, Ground yourself, meaning don't just float around in this sea of 
of information. And you're right, our kids are floating in a sea of information and it doesn't feel good. People don't feel good when they don't have meaning, um, self-actualization, purpose, and clarity about who they are and what, and, what, and what their purpose is in the world. They would like to create that. And what the Rav is saying is, you're not going to get that, the Rav is arguing, from a simple, okay, let's all stand in a circle and jump around. And I don't think that the people who go to, my, my kids went, go, went, go, went to the Rav Dov, um, well, at least my son did. He actually, interestingly enough, as an aside, he left because he said, I'm not in the mood for the dancing right now, which I thought was interesting. interesting. But, but um, I don't think that, th- that he and his peers and all those people, I don't think they were looking to sing and dance um, as a like, I'm going to forget all the like difficulties and I'm going to just, you know, throw myself into a ecstatic musical experience. I believe that their singing and dancing is an expression of a very deep spiritual experience. No, that's they my are, point. Exactly. Right. No, I I'm agree saying, with you totally. So, okay. so I'm not ignoring the, the world. They're saying my okay. spirituality so is found in the this. The that's says, not complexity. Okay. That's simplicity. Okay. So the rub says to pray in order to sing and dance. No, right? To use tefillah as an experience to be la, 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 la. No. To sing and dance, right? I forgot how he says it. In order to pray, yes. I forgot how he says it, but his point is, if no. you're singing and dancing, wait, I, I know. What you're no, saying I'm not saying the rub is against singing and dancing. That's no, not what I'm saying at what all. I, what I'm saying is, the singing and dancing is complex. You're, you're framing complexity only in a cognitive, um, like um, educational kind of framework and i'm flame, framing complexity as a a a way of being in the world in which you learn to hold um within your soul contradictions which is exactly what we were talking about in the beginning right and i think israelis are very good at it which is why i think these Dove experiences are so powerful because they're also mourning but they also want to cry out to hakadosh baruch Hu, and they want they want to lead to hakadosh baruch Hu, and that's why they go to Rav Dov. Because they know intuitively that they want to be able to hold all of this complexity. And the rub gives language to that. And I'll just end with one last point, which is what you're saying has truth in it, which is you can't just read the rub and be like, here you go, read this, and then uh, now you're going to understand complexity. We do have to translate it into language that our students can understand. Like I say that when I, when I teach it, I always say to them like, does this feel heavy to you, right? Is it like too much on the sacrifice? How many of you would rather be, you know, just like the rough cook or chassidut? And then they discuss it. But but we always get to a point where they all admit, oh, yes, I do. Like, of course, I've had questions with religion. Of course, I've struggled with things. Of course, I have unanswered issues. Of course, that's part of my religious experience. Um, you know, and, and so my, you, my only question, Molly, for your students is you teach a Linda Bam, right? No, is, I teach an MY. MY. Is it a mandatory course or a, or no. a right? So no. it's a self-selected it's a, course. Absolutely. <laughs> of girls that want to totally learn true. the theology of the realm. That is totally true. It is self-selecting. <laughs> They are definitely, um, you know, intellectually, they, they know that they have to be able to handle the, the material. And still, I will say, well, I would it's ask not this an way. intellectual experience. Which class the is class... more popular at MMY, your class or the storytelling rub class? Um, I, I, hate, I don't think there's a storytelling rub class. My class is pretty popular. Great, I'm sure. But Johnny, I'm sorry. Johnny, we, Johnny's been waving yes. for a while. I apologize. Okay, so... Let's just put for aside that question about popularity. I don't think that tells us much. But I now want to pick up on uh, the uh, metaphor of candy versus meat and, and reflect on Mali's essay and also uh, recent experiences. So uh, imagine we have these two diets. One is candy, which is not great for you, 
and uh, it's not great for your digestions, uh, digestive system. It's not good for your diet. Uh, and then you have whatever, meat or, or basically well-cooked food, which is good for your diet uh, and good for your digestive system. So just yesterday, you know, I do these spiritual coaching sessions. I met with somebody who came through uh, the Kirov movement. And I want to be very, very clear before I continue there are some wonderful aspects of the Kirov movement and Kirov organizations. So what I'm going to say here is not meant to be a generalization, but specific to this person. But this person's journey was more that they'd received candy. That means they'd received kind of uh, quaint, relatively simplistic approaches to a variety of ideas which had been sufficiently attractive for them to change their life. But then life got complicated, and the candy they were eating wasn't great for that uh, digest. They couldn't digest the life they were going through with what they'd been eating until now. And they booked a session with me, basically to discuss some complex issues was arising in their life. And what did I do? The truth is, I often quote Rav Soloveitchik, precisely because of his complexity, because precisely because he has this beautiful balance of of misora and chidush, of being both incredibly traditional and incredibly innovative. But the reason why I want to uh, relate this anecdote is. When we talk about the Rav, we think about him, but also we need to remember he inspired generations. So who did I quote yesterday? I quoted your neighbor, Mali, Rabbi Shana Goldberg, because right at the end of her book, What Do You Really Want? She has a chapter titled Living With Tension. Now, she doesn't say these ideas are brought to you by Rav Soloveitchik, but guess what? If you know Shana Goldberg, these ideas are brought to you by Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, which are brought to you by meaning this is him written in a slightly more accessible way by a different author, but living with tension is fundamentally, shall we say, uh, um, you know, one of the major contributions of the Rav. He talked about dialectic, he talked about how you can live in different worlds and live with different feelings and how that's part and parcel of what it means to be a Jew. And, and explaining these ideas to this client, they and, and this is really a, a much more sophisticated diet, realized, wow, I need this. I need this because the candy doesn't work for me anymore, given the, the life that I have and the tensions I'm experiencing. I need one which re reflects that tension, which is complex, which speaks to me. And in a similar way, uh, just a few, uh, about a week and a bit ago, as these, these, these terrible things occurred with a family, I did an online spiritual coaching workshop titled Living with Questions. And guess who I quoted? I quoted Rav Soloveitchik. I quoted Rav Aaron Lichtenstein. I quoted Rav Amital, all of whom spoke about the importance of being able to live with questions. Not about trying to solve everything, because Rav wasn't about solving things. He was about saying, this is a reality. It's about dealing with the, the, these multiple experiences these multiple identities and trying to negotiate them in a way in which we can live with ourselves and make a contribution to the world and so i'm just going to end up basically by considering you know this like these words complexity reflect real life life isn't candies right life has ups and downs we spoke about you know a incredibly difficult down uh, in, the these have gone through and the whole world have gone through candy doesn't work for that and there are lots of candy sellers of simplistic bumper sticker Judaism. And they're cute at the beginning, but they become relatively meaningless after a while. Who do you turn to next? And especially Balei Tshuva, who've gone through that journey, uh, and, and other people, and people who are just living life, uh, if they've been introduced to the Rav, or if they are introduced to the Rav. They meet somebody who is both intellectual and emotional, 
who understands the different identities that we live in and the tensions we live with, the part of being an individual and part of a collective. And they don't necessarily walk away with simple answers. In fact, they often rarely have any answers. But they say, now I know how to frame what real life is all about. Now I know how to, how to frame what it means to live both on heaven and try to, both on earth and try to reach the heaven. And that is really what Mali's explaining in this beautiful article. Okay, uh, we'll take a quick break, and then Mali, we'll come back with, I guess, one more, one or two more points that you wanted to mention about your article, and then we'll wrap up. Stay with us. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, Molly, take us through one or two other points that you wanted to highlight in your article, and uh, okay. we'll discuss. Okay, so uh, again, I, the next thing, and I think, you know, John just said that so beautifully, um, I'll just re repeat what I had said earlier, which is for the Rav, the idea of the uniqueness of the individual. He has a beautiful sentence where he says, we, we all have a Tzalem Elohim, but that is um, a challenge to be met and to be created. We have to create our own uh, souls, our own selves, our own uniqueness. We have to find our own uniqueness and create it um, and ground ourselves in in a worldview for the Rav, right? This is tied to the idea that for the Rav, um, that worldview is, while obviously we all know for that for the Rav, that worldview can be enriched very deeply and very profoundly by the wisdom given us to the world, but fundamentally, that worldview is grounded in Torah. Torah values and the halachic system, which for the Rav is a reflection of Torah ethical values, which is another thing that I address. Like I have a little piece there about how the Rav views halacha as the ethical moral norm, which I think is a very important message today, that to just explain that idea um, that according to the Rav, we're, we're meant to see halacha as the tool through which we, um, we, we elevate and, um, and, and um, purify the world and make the world a better place and an, and from an ethical perspective, which obviously doesn't answer all the questions. Okay, but this halacha, I don't understand how that's ethical. You can you have to have those conversations, right? Um, and this whole thing that I'm saying where like you're looking to understand the will of God, it's another thing I, I, that I mentioned in the, in, in the essay, which I think is really important. That doesn't mean that it's so easy to understand what the will of God is. And that's part of also holding the tension. I, I'm going to try to understand, but I realize that there are different perspectives and, and, and that like it's complicated and, and we should not have what he calls the um, unredeemed religious drive. I have a hotline to God. I know what he wants. That would be the opposite of the rough. And yet, and yet, he, everything for him is fundamentally grounded into our values, which I think is extremely relevant today because we have to explain to our students why 
Torah and Halacha are meaningful. And as I said before, they are thirsty for meaning. Absolutely thirsty for meaning. We live in a generation that is, as we said, the, the, the candy means there's no meaning. They're looking for meaning in their lives and they're looking for their own unique expression of that. Yeah. So my, my response to that is the Rav took for granted an absolute axiom mm-hmm. that the Torah is mina shamayim, you know, the, the Mesora is the word of God and the Halacha is that expression of the word of God in the world. Okay, and from there he developed his... Uh, his and that it's ethical. I think that's a very Wait, wait, one second. One second. So, correct. And that it's by definition ethical. That it defines the ethics of the universe, as it would, of creation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he would say it. He would say it you know, much more fluently. But uh, do we agree on that? That, that, that Rav took that for yes. granted, that basis, that understanding. Me- meaning, I'm not sure from what I see, like, right. you know, our students are being raised in a, in a culture that completely and utterly rejects those fundamental truths. Correct. Completely and utterly rejects them. So therefore, it's yeah. very nice to say that the like you read halachic man and halacha yeah. is the expression of God's will in the universe and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But he doesn't even say it's like when I always say when you read a Mishnah, you have to first understand what are the fundamental principles that the Chazal took for granted that you knew in order to understand the Mishnah, mm-hmm. right? So the, so the the Rav is taking for granted things that I don't get a sense that most kids can just blindly accept. Which he, I, I say the word blindly in the most positive way. Mm-hmm. This is our tradition. This is our misora. This is who we are. And based on this, I'm going to explain to you in the most unbelievably beautiful way. So my question for you is, if you're, you're nodding to me, but our, user, our, our, our listeners can't hear, how does, this, how does this answer our problems? Like, how does this answer the, what they're looking for if they don't even agree with the fundamental right. Uh, principle? Right. So I think what you're saying is exactly right. They, that's why they need it, because they don't have it. Because they do, they, they do question, is halacha ethical? Is it meant to be ethical? Right. Even, as I don't saying, think they that question, the is halacha ethical? I think they look at many halachot and say, they, they are, are antithetical or okay. anti-ethical. Right, I agree. So I think that... You know, that division of the sexes, the supremacy so of the Jewish people. I don't even it. have to start anywhere. I could Correct. just like, you know what I'm of saying? Of course. So, All of it. All of it. And that, therefore, again, that's why this essay is, about, is not, something is relevant, not because people agree with it. Something is relevant because it's answering a need of the time. And I think that if one believes that at its core, halacha is, and I do believe that, and it's also always surprising to me when people like put up Facebook posts that say like, halacha is meant to be ethical. And like, you know, they quote somebody, I'm like, obviously, but it's not obvious. I grew up with that. My, that was always what I learned from my grandfather and from my father and from my uncle. Like it was, it was like the whole point of every mitzvah. What's the ethical source? What's the idea behind this mitzvah that's meant to be an ethical statue? That was like obvious to me. It's not obvious to uh, to everybody, and it's certainly not obvious to our students. Well, which is why. And, and what happens when the halacha okay, seems to so fly in the correct, face of your sense of ethics? Correct, one hundred percent. Which is why. That's why you have to. This is. That's why this is an educational. Um, opportunity. And that, again, I'm just thinking back to what happened in class this semester when I posited this and I knew exactly what was going to happen is what you, I was like, I, what are your questions? And I got the hand about homosexuality and I got the hand up about Amalek and I got the hand up about women. And we had, I dedicated an entire class 
to talking about the complexity of, wait, let's try to see if we can understand um, how, how, you know, like a, like, what, first of all, what does the halacha, what is, is there a Jewish perspective um, on these issues? What is the Torah saying? Um, we, you know, like that, like, but I'm starting, I am starting, I told them that, I'm starting from the Hanachat Yisod, that this is an ethical document. It's also true that it's written in a certain time, it's a certain people, and that has to be taken into consideration. But if you compare it to the, to the ethics of its, of its com- compatriots, whatever, however you say that, it's miles ahead. And the challenges are we you're still already miles equivocating. Ahead? You're already equivocating. No, that's I, that's not well, an equivocation. It was written in its time. No, and it's that's, that's not an equivocation. That is a complex truth. Absolutely. That and that and then and then I speak to the students and I tell them, okay, here's here, let's work this through. But I am starting from the Hanachat Yesod that this is meant to be ethical. Now, as you said, you called it an equivocation. I call no, it not me- I, I disagree with that. It's not meant to be ethical. It is ethics. It is ethical. But he what would not say it? it's meant to be ethical. No, he no, would say it is the definition another, of ethics. You have to add another complex wrinkle in, which is um, we as human beings, Torah Shabbat Al-Peh is our attempt to try to figure out what the heck a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants from us, right? And what are those ethical principles? And we, we are humans. And so we're struggling and evolving over time so maybe sometimes is it possible that like something is so is sociologically affected right is, is that theoretically possible is it theoretically possible that the rambam had a certain view of women because women were covered for head to head to toe you know and therefore he says you shouldn't leave the house does that mean that like judaism believes that women shouldn't be driving or this is really complex let's unpack this and let's let's put all these pieces together let's assume that fundamentally god is ethical and that his Torah is meant to shine that ethical light on the universe. And let's assume that Chazal were struggling to figure out in their time, with their constraints, what that would look like. And let's assume that in every generation, in its own time and in its own place, they were still struggling. And let's get to the heart of what that is. That, that, that to me, is the message that we're trying to give our students. And it's a conversation. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, not, it's not, here's the truth, and now I want you to swallow it. It's... Let's unpack this. What do you think? Johnny. Johnny. So I'll, I'll be quite brief. I know we need to wrap up in a yeah. second. Uh, you know, I write something every day on Daf Yomi, and, and Sote Yotet was a very tough Daf. Anybody studying Daf Yomi, it just it raised many, many ethical and moral questions. And if I have to write something and I choose to write on that particular point, the question is, what did I do? And I want to just kind of walk us through for a moment about who the Rav was, you know, one of the stories he often turns to is Yaakov wrestling with an angel. Rav Soloveitch was a wrestler. Wrestler means an intellectual wrestler. He used to try and figure things out. Uh, we often, you know, judge him by the English books that are published, but actually the way you see the most in, is in uh, Rishimot Shirim in his lengthy analyses of, of complicated Talmudic uh, issues where he wrestles with ideas over pages and pages. Well, it's written by a student. Wrestles over pages and pages uh, about trying to make sense of this. And uh, whether the outcome is satisfactory to some or not, that's not the point. But who is Ralph Soloveitchuk to somebody like me? He is, is a, an, an example, a, a remarkable example, probably the prime example of somebody who recognizes the uh, tension that exists between Masar and Chidush, who recognizes the tension between tradition and modernity, who recognizes questions that arise from being committed to faith and being a modern, and he wrestles with them. And that inspires people like me to do the same. 
and uh, and I, whether whether what I write make, made sense or not, that's not the point. But it's inspired by him, and there are generations of people who try and figure these things out. But he gave us permission to do that. He didn't say you have to answer like this and stick to the text, and he didn't say you should throw away the text. He said you got to wrestle. You see, I think it's really interesting because when the rub passed away, there were like as we discussed in our you know pre-discussion, there are streams of Talmudim, and certain streams lean, I would say, in the more I struggle, and the rub struggled, and uh, and he also had, you know, equivocated sometimes and tried to find a way. And then there's an entirely other stream, which were less Tamidim of, that said, what are you talking about? The Rev represented the ideals of strict adherence to halacha, and these were his piske halacha, and he was a, he was a, he was a you know, magid shir. And I think... Some, all of that is true. And, all that, and, 100%, all that is true. He represented different things to different people. And so I sometimes think... We, par- we cherry pick the rub that we want to be the rub. Meaning, like, we, I guess, I don't know if I'm more modern, or I don't know, we are the more modern side. We, are, we, we, we don't like the rub as a halachist and as the demanding and unwavering and inflexible personality. And then the people on the other side, obviously, they, you know, they, 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 oh yeah, of course the Rav, the Rav gave a drasha, or the Rav struggled because he had to deal with that issue, but that doesn't mean that that was a core value to him. And I, I think, I, I think, like, it's very complex, but, uh, but I'm, I'm not sure that we're able to do justice to all sides, or I would say, perhaps we cherry-picked the sides that we like, rather than admit that there was another side that was far more demanding and far, far less flexible than we would want to admit. Molly, you wrap it up. Okay, so I'll wrap it up by saying that you just, I, I was going to say I can't talk about this essay without talking about sacrifice, which is another one of the themes that the Rub hits over and over and over. You use which was flexible, unflexible. I don't think the Rub was inflexible. I know he was a, a, a tartan in, the, in Sheer, but that also changed after his wife died. Um, I, I think so. That's it's, it's not that. Yeah, but I he think you're believe, right. But that I think he, he the true rub was before standards. his wife died. The true, like, I don't know. I don't know. People, I'm not sure. That's a different conversation. Yeah. But um, the idea of sacrifice, right? The idea that you have to be willing to um, contain yourself, restrain yourself to God and to your fellow man, right, in order to have relationships with both God and fellow man is such a fundamental, first of all, fundamental truth and is important in and of itself, but especially in today's world of narcissism and hedonism and all that stuff, sacrifice, the, the, the willingness to, to, to live a life where sacrifice is part of your worldview is really important. Um, as to your second point, I don't think we're cherry-picking the rub. That's, this is the dialectic that is the rub, and I agree with you. It's hard to hold dialectic, but just because it's hard doesn't mean it's right, right? And I think you're right. I think people err on the, they fall... You know, on one side or the other, but what the Rub is trying to say is, I and, and I mentioned this too briefly in the beginning. He said, "I have a, I have a mind and I have a heart," and he was so concerned. He's like, "I gave you all my mind. I don't know if you got my heart." When he was talking about his heart, what he was talking about is an unqualified commitment to Torah, mitzvos, misora. That's my, that, no, I totally agree with you, but I don't think in our community. We really, so then, we so speak about that about nearly that. enough. Okay. And, and I wonder, should. I didn't read the whole, uh, the whole art, the mm-hmm. whole, all of the articles, but I wonder how many times that you mentioned it, obviously, 
But I wonder how many times it came up. I mean, was the rub reflected as a, you know, some, no, the yeah, answer is no. Absolutely. You know? absolutely. So I agree. So I think that's a really important aspect of what the rub has to give us, which is this very ground, very, and that's this is something I mentioned in the essay, very, very grounded, unequivocal um, commitment to to Masora and to Torah. And I'm just going to end by saying that that for me, one of the nicest parts of the essay was that I said to my students, well, what do you think? Like what? And, and then I kind of summarized their views. And that was really the most gratifying because it it demonstrated to me that they had understood what what the messages were that I was trying to convey and that it did resonate with them and hearing it from their point of view. And one of the one of the things that one of the girls said, um, which I found so meaningful, she said she said it so straight out. She's like, we always hear about Masora. We always hear about the Rav. The Rav is our Masora. So of course we have to know who the Rav is. Everything we do is built on the Rav. Um, so like it was such a beautiful expression of like her internalizing this idea. I think she came with it into school, but this idea of the importance of Masora. They talked about loneliness. They talked about the validity of it's okay to feel lonely in the world as a religious person when they go on to into into secular environments. Um, when they try to do this thing that you're describing, which is to hold the um, uncommitted um, allegiance to halacha and to Judaism with the openness to the larger world. They said it's lonely, and it's lonely for us also among our peers. But, 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 the, but, but the students that heard it, I think it was a very, very um, meaningful experience for them. Okay, thank you very much, Molly, for sharing the article. And, uh, and we encourage everyone to uh, take the time to seek out the tradition uh, um, special edition. Is it a special edition or just yeah. a regular edition?